Jimmy Lewis, and this is Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, the dirt bike podcast where we talk about motorcycle and motorcycle-related products. In our 39th episode of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, I'm joined by Logan, who basically goes on a rant about the ISDE in a good way, which is kind of strange because Logan doesn't talk. I discuss pulling my CRF250X apart after 300 hours. I talk about wiring off-road lights. I think we do some pipe testing and answer your questions. So have a little bit of a listen. This show is brought to you by... Climb has been with this show since the beginning, and I really appreciate that. What I like even better is that the gear is super awesome. I've been wearing it since the beginning. Uh, it's evolved a bunch. It's very durable, um, really good fitting. They have features on their gear that are pretty much uh, industry leading. And I appreciate that because that's what I wear when I get to do fun stuff and I'm comfortable and I like almost everything that they make. So if you are looking for a change of gear or you're looking for the best gear, I think uh, you won't be disappointed by trying Climb. So give them a look. Along with... DDC Racing, that's Delaney Drive Components. They're makers of very strong, durable, chromoly, chrome-plated sprockets. If you've seen these things, they look like Swiss cheese. They're super light for a steel sprocket. They last forever. They come with a one-year warranty, and they are built by riders who really care about keeping riding areas open. So if you're interested in some good drive systems parts, Check out ddcracing.net. That's Delaney Drive Components. And Taco Moto. So you've heard us talk about Taco Mike on the show. He's been a guest host a few times. Taco Moto Co., that's how you find him on the web, sells a lot of the kind of cool and unique tuning products that you need to get your emissions-compliant bike running up to snuff. So if you have questions, he has answers. And he can also sell you the stuff. So if we can't answer the question here, which we hope we can, maybe he can answer the question over there. And he can also sell you the parts that you might need to get your especially KTM or Husky dual sport bike uh, running like a champ. Anyways, it's tacomoto.co. Now, here's the show. Live from Pahrump. You know, I was actually supposed to time it with the uh, with the thing here. Live from Prump, <laughs> no Gabe tonight, uh, um, uh, orchestrating this whole mess myself. Luckily, Logan came in. He's prepared a, a, a solid two-minute rant for tonight, right? Yes. Yes. And the good thing about that is I'm going to be able to interrupt you because all I'm drinking tonight is um, sparkling uh, sparkling cider, the, uh, the regular kind. What's wrong with me, right? <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, we're going to get it going. This is Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. This will be number 39. Uh, we have been doing this for 39 weeks, or at least I have. Um, Tech Talk Taco Tuesday is the show where Jimmy Lewis from Dirt Bike Tests answers your motorcycle and motorcycle product-related questions, all in the effort to sell a few T-shirts. Uh, support Dirt Bike Tests by going to our website, clicking on the link, because I heard if you sell T-shirts, you can support a small family. 
And then you might have to also give away your motorcycles in a contest too. But I'm not going to do that because I don't uh, sell, even sell my motorcycles, of which I have way too many. Right, Logan? Yes. How many motorcycles do you think I have? 50. You overshot it, buddy. You're the first person to ever overshoot it. <laughs> it's it's in the 40s, someplace oh. in the 40s. But yeah, close. Good guess. Um, they all work too, except for the one that has the top end off of it. And today I took the top end off of my, actually it's my father-in-law's. It's Ned's CRF250X that we have had since, um, I want to say 2004, 2005. It started its life at the Dirt Rider 24-hour torture test. It was a bike that um, Honda built in collaboration with uh, JCR Honda uh, a long time ago. And we, uh, uh, so we ran it for 24 hours in that test. And then we kept it around the magazine to run it for about 100 hours, a little less than 100 hours. And then we kind of tore it apart and looked at it to see what it looked like. Uh, and today at 250, I think it's in the, it's close to 300 hours. I tore it apart for the third time and, and I need one intake valve is the only part though. Well, the piston too, actually the piston was pretty polished, although it was a little bit, um, uh, had a little more time before it was going to turn sideways. You know what it looks like when a piston turns sideways inside of a cylinder? No. Oh, come on. What about your, your Yamaha 103? Doesn't that thing turn the piston sideways? Yes. Okay. What about the KTM 105? It doesn't turn the piston sideways every once in a while? What KTM one? I thought you had a KTM 105. No. Just only Yamaha? Yeah. Only the Yamaha. Okay. I thought you had, I thought you had a, you, you had me confused thinking that you had a KTM 105. I've never, I saw you on a, what'd you have before that? A K, a KX, did you have a KX60 or KX65? What was your? KX85. KX85. Yeah. And then before that, when I very first saw you riding, you had a KTM 65, 65 right? Okay, that's why I get confused. Because every time you come over here, like on an XR200 or something, or a YZ250F, you have a lot of bikes too, I think. Yes. How many do you have? Five, I'm guessing. Five. Of yours? Part or the, owner. The part owner, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How many of them have turned the pistons sideways? Just the 105? A couple. Right. And, and I, I, I did some investigating on this, by the way. I asked somebody who might know. He said that maybe when you started to work on your bikes a little bit more, that's when that's when things started going wrong. Would that be accurate? Yeah, a little. A little bit? So what's the what's the what's the problem? What do you think? What lack of experience? Yeah, probably, but not. Not. <laughs> So uh, is is the one oh is the one oh three back together and running? Sort of. Sort of. Okay. So here's so here's the problem. Well, you you you're going to take this bike out Prims this weekend, right? Yes. Okay, and you're racing it. Yes. You're sort of racing it. Yes. Because if your bike's sort of working, that means you're sort of racing it. And I'm sort of going to wager a guess here that that piston might turn sideways again. Mm. <laughs> Dad's over there going, it better not. <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta be you gotta be careful about that stuff because they, they get expensive when that kind of stuff happens. Jimmy, yeah. do you work on that thing? I do. You did. Okay, yeah. you're 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 good with it. Yeah. Why is he giving? Just wouldn't start today for some reason. Oh yeah, I was saying why is he giving me this sort of stuff? <laughs> That's I think what he's sort of. We just had to. 
Just had the carburetor off and had to run here. Okay. So we didn't okay. see. Okay. Haven't, haven't fully checked it out. It like the carbs. Carb might be a little gummed up. You know. Western this weekend. And it, Oh, it, it and stopped. Yeah, I mean it starts though. It just, it's the second you go to give it anything. It's oh, okay. Yeah, you should you should bring that thing I by. I'm offering. I'm offering. I got the ultrasonic I cleaner. Yeah, I got. Yeah, I got the ultrasonic cleaner. Yeah, you know what? I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's happened. The floats are sticking. I'm just gonna get wager a guess. Floats are sticking, or there's something something you know floating around in there that's yeah. like if it starts and then and then all of a sudden you know. They don't work. It's generally like fuel delivery, intermittent fuel delivery. And uh, so, yeah, you never know. Um, but uh, let's get that thing sort of tuned up so it works perfect. That's that. Then you can go race. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Glad we got to the bottom of that. Right? Yes. Good. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we have a few questions. Some of these were submitted through on the YouTube videos. Uh, some of them are emailed to me at jimmy at dirtbiketest.com. Some of them even uh, are comments from this Facebook thing, which I haven't been um, paying much attention to because I'm just sick of uh, sick of digital right now. I want to go analog a little bit more. I want to go I want to go analog riding and not and not be thinking about taking a picture of where I'm at. To show everybody where I'm at because I don't care because you don't care. Who cares? Um, let's see. First question. Uh, Christina asks, hey, I'm trying to decide between the 2020 Husky 250 and the 2020 Honda CRF 250R. Which bike would suit a smaller rider? I'm a 125 pound, five foot five, and just getting off a YZ125 and wanted to move to a 250 but I'm sh not sure what brand to go. That's a personal question, right, Logan? Yeah. What would you say? Uh, I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> um, why don't you say Yamaha? That's what every when you're talking 250Fs, that's what everybody says. Just Yamaha, right? Sure. I mean, that's that's my that's kind of like uh, they just because the motor is so good. I've always I've always kind of favored those, but. Um, being a lighter rider, here's what I know, and I've not ridden the 2020 um, uh, Husky. That's what it says right here. Those are those those are those white KTM's, I think. Um, and uh, they probably get so pissed off when I say that <laughs> all the time. <laughs> We're gonna get a test bike one of these days. I heard. Really? Then I could actually I could actually tell you how that how that works, but it works very similar to the uh, KTM 250, which I have ridden, and the 2020 Honda, which I have ridden. Uh, the one thing I know about Husky, especially in the way that it differs from the KTM, is Husky is targeting. Um, oh, I don't want to. I don't know exactly how to put this. Their suspension isn't setup isn't as aggressive, and on the motocross side, they're actually making a, a diligent effort to make their suspension settings a little bit different in a in a less aggressive way. So when you start saying smaller, lighter rider. And at 125 pounds, you're probably going to definitely have to go down spring rates. So no matter what bike you're going to get, um, the fact that Husky kind of targets that, maybe the internal valving would be a little bit better. And I will tell you that the 2020 Honda is pretty good. Um, a little bit high strung in the motor department, although the Husky, 
The Husky is actually high strung. It just doesn't feel like it. The Honda is high strung and it feels like it when you're talking about the motor. But I'm, I think you're kind of, uh, you know, coming from a 125, I don't think either of those bikes would bother you too much. Um, they're, they're, all the bikes are so good these days. It's really hard to go wrong. Um, I think, uh, you know, in the 250 class, if you're so, solely looking at motor, and I know a lot of people, that's all they look at when they're 250 class, uh, the Yamaha is definitely um, seems like the easiest way to go on that. And then everything else is, in my world, kind of tied for second. Um, it's just what flavor do you want? So, but those are two good choices out of, out of all of them. I mean, um, uh, the Suzuki, we have one as a test bike and our, I got, our guys say they like it a lot cause it's very easy to ride. So it's probably the easiest to ride motor, but it's probably the heaviest feeling, uh, 250F. And, uh, so yeah. Uh, and this was for motocross. She, I actually emailed her back and, um, she specifically said for motocross, which uh, helps out a lot. The more information we have, the better. Uh, so, uh, Christine, hopefully that answers your question. Uh, next up, Jimmy, I live in British Columbia, Canada and ride mainly technical single track. I used to ride a 2009 KTM 530 EXC, which I really enjoyed. Okay. That's going to be easy after that. Since 2014, I've been riding a Husaberg. Hey, yeah, Husaberg TE300, which I love, in addition to a Beta Trials bike. Now that the Berg is getting old, I'd like to add a 2017 to 2019 KTM plated four-stroke to the garage. My dilemma is this. Do I buy uh, the best bike in the world? He didn't write that. I just threw that in there. The KTM 500 EXC um, or the white Swedish... FE501, that's the same thing, but different. Or do I get a KTM 450 EXC 6 Days Edition or a white FE450? <laughs> Anyways, so he kind of goes on to talk about me being a fan of the KTMs and stuff, which I am. Um, but he says, I saw that you write good things in Dirt Rider about the EFI 450 XCW when it came out in 2012, which I did. Um, wait, did I? No, I didn't because I wasn't a Dirt Rider in 2012, or was I? How long ago was that? Eight. Yeah, it's that's close. I could be there. I think I might have rode a EFI four fifty when I was there. Um, I'll t I'll tell you. Uh, let's see. Can you share some light on insight on KTM's long stroke uh, five hundred versus the st short stroke four fifty motors for an all purpose plated enduro bike? I've read uh, a lot of fabulous reviews on the two seventeen plus four fifty enduro bikes. The idea seems that be the loss of torque compared to the 500s and more than made up for by the gains and agility, sense of lightness, and controllability. What has your experience been? Uh, Dale, cheers. Uh, man, I, I'm, I'm, it's been a while since I've ridden. Those motors have changed so much. Um, just in the last few years, they've, they've really been, and until you look at the motors side by side, they've been shrinking that. 450 500 motor package down and i don't really know where they're getting the displacement if it's still a stroke thing or um i haven't paid that much attention to it uh, and i have not ridden the 450s a whole lot only a little bit but i really like the torque um you didn't say how big you were either um if you're a lighter guy it doesn't make so much difference and the fact that you liked a 2009 KTM 530, uh, 
Uh, that's confusing. <laughs> Those bikes were horrible. I remember I liked them when I when I first rode them. I thought I liked them. I actually liked the 400 in that chassis, but the 530 was kind of a kind of a monster. Uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't ridden them enough to give you a real definite answer on that. I think, um, man, if you if they have the uh, the demo rides and stuff, that's what's awesome about going and doing that to be able to feel it for yourself. But it kind of comes down to how much do you do you like torque, the chug, chug, chug versus having it rev a little bit. And then I remember the older 450s seemed like they put out the same amount of power as the 500s. But now with all the emission stuff coming in and if the 450 has the same emission stuff, you're not going to be you're going to be missing that little bit of displacement even more. Go with the 500. That's just it's just easy that way i'm consistent right yeah <laughs> so uh let's see fletcher asks um he was asking because of uh lighting speaking of lighting i have a 2019 K- ktm 300xc and i can't seem find information anywhere on the stator output I don't need much. Just some good emergency lighting would be okay. Thinking of a 25-watt LED orange lens spot flood combo. Well, you're thinking about a lot of light right there. (laughs) Not 25 watts, but a lot of different stuff. Um, So basically, the the manual will tell you exactly how much power is coming out of that ignition someplace, the good manual. And uh, with 25 watts, it's not going to be an issue. You basically need to... Um, just get a kit that goes directly to the battery and then put the switch on the handlebar and call it good. That's how like all the Baja designs lights that I run, I think those are pulling 35, maybe a little more Watts on. Um, so, and I've never had them even drain the battery that much. Um, and Baja designs makes really good lights and you just get one of their little, uh, just a squadron, even the low, the low line squadron will make you very, very happy. And they usually have almost a plug and play kit with that stuff too. So let's see. I am not taking phone calls today, by the way, um, because it's not enough people, uh, here to make that stuff. Uh, Todd Kelly, Kelly tells me to stop hating. What did, who did I hate on? I don't know. You don't know who I hated on? Did I hate on you? It might have been the Husky, but... No, I think I was hating on you. I was picking on you. So um might have been the that, that other brand. Uh, <laughs> Todd, what do you ride? <laughs> Does the XR650R with electric start work? The one that I have in my garage? Yeah, it works. I can probably get to electric start a few times more. Um, you want to buy it? <laughs> um, Morgan, hey, Jimmy, ha-ha. Sideways pistons are awesome. You know what Morgan does for a living? Morgan uh, does uh, what's his what's his he does he does a he does a Gospel of Two Wheels podcast uh, video show. I've been on that once before, and he has Montrose. What's his name of his Highland Cycles is what it's called. I remember I have a hat. I should be wearing his hat right now, but I'm not. And uh, Morgan likes side. You know why he likes sideways pistons? Because they fix them. They like fixing that stuff. That's what they do. Uh, so if you're in the Montrose, Colorado area and you need to have your bike worked on, uh, go see Morgan. Good guy. Um, Greg Yodi Yoder says, doing a CRF250R top end. 
done tomorrow with new OEM head and Dell West titanium intakes. Um, good. I'm going with steel. I think I'm going to put in. Um, I I what I took out was steel. Um, Pro X. Uh, in I think I put the steel intake Pro X intake valve kit into it, and it. So let me tell you a story about this bike. It had a hundred. I think it was. I calculated. I was like, well, just short, just shy of a hundred hours on something like 90, 96 hours on it since I put them in there, and the intake valve moved um, three one hundredths of a millimeter, so it went out of spec. Is that right? Three one hundredths, and uh, it was enough to where the bike started to get hard to start. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, blow by, by any means, but it was just, the bike was acting a little bit funny on, on cold start. And so I went ahead and checked it. And when I decided it went like hundred hours, it was time. So the piston was pretty polished. It's funny cause the haunt, those CRF 250 pistons, they polished themselves pretty good on one side and, and, you know, right underneath the ring on one side and way down on the bottom of the skirt on the other side, when they get that much time on them, the cylinder looked perfect. Everything in that motor looked perfect except for that one intake valve and so i'm just going to go ahead and replace both of the uh the intake valves put a new valve guide seals in it and slap it back together with some new gaskets and a new new piston and i think i'm going to put a new stock piston in because i just happen to have one laying around <laughs> so that's uh cheap is the way to go there uh i i in the, the piston before it i believe i got um it was a i'm pretty sure it was a wiseco and i got 100 hours out of that thing and it did not look as good as the stock Honda one that I just got 100 hours out of, if my memory uh, recalls. Let's see. Um, yeah, uh, no, what, San Felipe Bob, what broke on my XR650 was the gear that they push onto the, um, onto the flywheel. That gear is getting eaten up and there are no more left. Actually, uh, Alan Roach of Baja Designs had a couple spare ones stashed away, and then someone broke into uh, one of their shipping containers or something someplace, and they managed to disappear. So there's no more in the world, and that's the thing. Hey, Jimmy, where in the holy hell can I find a sub-mount for a Scott's damper mount on a BRP isolated mount on a 2020-300XCW? Scott still doesn't have anything. Um... You know what's funny is I think I saw one of those on a student's bike in my class last week, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, I don't know. Scott's is very, very particular about measuring all that stuff. They they make sure that they get their hands on one and measure it and fit the proper one on. And if it's changed by a little bit, they make a new one and get you a new part number. So maybe they're still waiting to do that or get it all done or they haven't, uh, done. Uh, Oh, Todd Kelly told me to quit hating on the other bald guy. Which one? <laughs> oh, I know which one. The guy, the guy who's going to sell his motorcycles to feed his family. Cause we're not buying enough t-shirts. That one. Yeah. Ah, you know, we are, we are beating up on the other bald guy, the other guy, because his oil the oil on his reeds was causing the bike to um, hesitate, which is, I, I heard that video isn't up anymore. Um, wow. George found, how crappy is that, 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 uh, the video or whatever you found the search results, um, George, 
is it like does it look like somebody just cut all the text and garbled it into a big mess that was that was this part of this project they were going to archive all of our stuff and it went south while I was working down there um squadron pro is 40 watts uh that's the one that's the one we run on all of all of the bikes most of the time and it doesn't affect the KTM uh good let's see uh <laughs> Let's see. Hold on. Uh, Mike Spurgeon. That's Taco Mike. Hasn't collected the design work at 2020 frame. Um, yep. Yep. Everybody's waiting for him. I've seen it mounted on one someplace. Uh, so I know that the frames are a little bit different. So I was actually looking at that the other day between I have a 19 and a 20. Um, I had 19 and 20. 350 sitting here and I was looking really um really close but anyways they say the form the form says it's not till december so you can get those but uh that's the that's the difficulty these days with a lot of you know companies when they when they when a company like ktm changes something every couple of years and then you make something that's supposed to bolt right on and it has to fit um uh, some shops will have like you know the one from the 19 and they'll they'll make it fit you know, may take a die grinder and some other stuff. So, so I don't, you know, I, and you know, so the, the real, the important thing about a Scott's damper is, or any steering damper is it is it has to pivot over the center of the steering stem. The damper has to rotate right on top of the steering stem, or you're going to get some sort of drag or that's why they have a slot in that link arm. So it's even off just a little bit. It can move. But if it doesn't pivot right over the center, then you're going to get a variable rate of damping, which, you know, it actually could be better, I guess. But you're going to get altered damping effects other than the way it was was designed to work. So if these clamps and all the mounts aren't perfect, then things are going to be out of line. And it's funny because I've even seen on, well, let's just say it was on a factory bike where they mounted the damper on. And I saw it, and I saw the arm moving back and forth because it was mounted off center. And I'm like, "You're running that?" <laughs> so, uh, but they didn't even know that that's the way it was supposed to work. So, um, that's important when you're mounting your damper that it's a, the fit is specific and it's mounted right over the top. Uh, a company like uh, Fastware or, or um, uh, Promoto Billet had these had these top clamps with these adjustable, uh, you know, that you could actually slide the the damper. It was on kind of a rack, and you could actually slide it, which was a really good thing because you could move it from bike to bike. But you had to be really careful about setting that thing up properly to make it to make it work. So um, yeah, careful with that. On to the next question down here. Say this name. <laughs> What's that name, Logan? Fletcher Brookwood. Bukowicz, Fletcher Bukowicz. That's who was asking about the lights. Notice how I avoided saying that name earlier. Yeah. Um, somebody, uh, the Duke, is commenting on a recluse video. He said, I tried the EXP Core 3.0 for a KTM 250SX, and it felt like someone was feathering my clutch for me. That's exactly right. That's what a recluse does. <laughs> um, it, actually, it doesn't feather. It actually really uh, perfectly engages uh, the internet. 
you know, or the internet. I'm reading the, the, the warning that just says our internets are slow here. Um, it perfectly engages the clutch. So like feathering, unless you're feathering the throttle, the recluse probably isn't feathering your clutch. But a lot of times, especially when you're new to the recluse, you don't trust it and you feather it and the recluse fights back or works with you, however it works. Um, start seemed okay, but I think I can now tell who's running one now. Uh, so you mean... Uh, <laughs> you know that there's like pro riders that were running them and stuff. Is that, is that what, was, what was going? Anyways, it has a high gear lugging sound. Yes, that's how you can tell. Well, when people are trail riding with them, when motocrossers are doing with doing with them, um, the motocross guys are using them more like an anti stall, so they don't. So there's they're they're like a they're using them. They set them up so they work kind of like a slipper clutch. And you said 250 SX, so that's why I'm starting to talk about motocross now. Although most people ride their 250 SXs off road, but anyways. Um, so also, I can't tell if my bike is in neutral anymore. <laughs> yeah, they make bikes with neutral indicator lights for people like you. <laughs> oh, this is good. I made a mistake thinking I was in neutral and it took off. <laughs> Be careful. Make sure your kill switch is always working. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, product liability lawyers love guys like you, uh, Duke. <laughs> so, um, don't, don't go see one because I like my recluses and I do not want my KTM 250 SX to come with a neutral indicator switch. Um, nor do I ever, um, whack my throttle, uh, when I'm not supposed to, um, with my bike and gear with my recluse. Actually, I set my recluses up so, so tight that they, that if I'm not holding the brake, the bike will be dragging. So it's kind of hard to, uh, it's kind of hard to not notice it. Like if I just park my bike with it in gear on a recluse, it'll pull the bike off the kickstand, but your bike doesn't have a kickstand either because it's a SX. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Curtis Kelly asks, what is the best way to break in a new pair of MX boots besides just using them? Logan, what do you do when you get new boots? They're not new. What? Okay, whose hand-me-downs are you getting? His cousins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, what I just took from that is, uh, Curtis, you need to get some cousins that have a little bit they're growing a little bit faster than you and get their boots or if you've stopped growing you just uh, see if you can get their boots <laughs> no i i i'm always wearing new boots cuz i'm just that fashion icon that you see in the photos all the time and all i get to wear is new boots so they don't bother me anymore and most of the time i'm wearing cd boots which in all honesty because of the hinge uh, do not require that much uh, break-in in the ankle, which is usually where people are talking about for the break-in. So the best way to break in a new pair of MX boots is to buy a hinged boot, and then you don't have much break-in to do. Um, I have seen people do things like uh, oil them up quite a bit, but generally the leather, you know, they, they use some leather uh, treatments and stuff, but generally the, the new boots are pretty um, soft anyways. It's usually the plastic pieces that are stiff, what's keeping it stiff. And that's kind of something you want in the boot. When they start feeling, quote, broke in, a lot of times some of the protective characters are gone. Um, but uh, I've also seen people that would um, take them and stand them in water, like, you know, soak, basically soak the boot and then wear, you know, wear it around to help loosen it up. But, man, when they dry up, I don't think that's a 
good thing out here. It would be bad out here in the desert. But I just ride them. Um, uh, and do you use any product to care for them after use? Um, yeah, I pressure wash them, which you're not supposed to do. Um, I leave them laying around outside in the sun, which you're not supposed to do. <laughs> I don't. I, I actually wear out boots quite a bit, and I'm very lucky to be able to get uh, quite a few because that would probably be besides tires. That would be my biggest, um, my biggest expense uh, when doing that stuff. Is somebody in here using the internet's? Is that thing frozen up? No, it is. Yeah. It's been frozen. Yeah, we're we're having we're having issues again. I had a I had a I had my uh, IT tech guy come in here and. We got all kinds of new routers, and there's extra computers sitting over here, and it hums and hisses, and and now we're having internet problems again. We're actually on the wrong network is the problem. We're on the slow network, not the fast one, but we do what we can do around here. I can't blame it on Gabe because he's not here either. So um, let's see. Seth Cooper, he says, I just acquired a 2001 KTM 640 LC4E. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Mostly for nostalgic reasons, as I used to drool over these bikes when I couldn't afford one. I understand that, actually. I, I had a couple of bikes like that. Nonetheless, it's a bizarre bike to me. Oil in the frame and just the way some of the components are designed. My issue is that many of the parts that didn't cross over to the other models have been discontinued and the aftermarket is virtually non-assistant. Non-existent, aside from bearings. <laughs> and those things actually ate bearings. If <laughs> That was probably one of their weaknesses. Is it, is it wor even worth holding onto a bike like this when you have to look for other owners parting out old bikes just to scrounge an eBay? Or just dump it while I can still get my money back? Yeah. Um, unless you really, really like that bike. <clears throat> um, yeah, I would say um, ditch it. How does it, how does it, doesn't it vibrate? <laughs> How's the vibration in that one? That was the that was the fatal flaw, and hence why they were hard on the the actually the main bearings, um, the crank, uh, the crank main bearings uh, seemed like the first thing to wear out. And those everything else was they're pretty they were pretty indestructible. Other than it would just shake everything else off the side of the bike. And KTM wasn't exactly what KTM is now. Back then, that was kind of end of an era of that whole of that whole bike. So yeah, I would, uh, I would try to dump it or if, if everything works on it, you could part that sucker out. Cause I guarantee you the stuff that works on yours is not working on other people's <laughs> and you could probably do okay with it. Just guessing. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad I don't have one of those anymore. I had a, I had a 94. So that, that thing had a, how, how long of a run was so that it was, it was 94 was the first year of the 400 the LC4 400, and uh, I put a f solid 100,000 miles on that thing. That was a, that was a beater. <laughs> uh, Ken Woodard asks, I have a 2020 KTM 500 EXCF and installed a Voyager Pro with the protector, moto-minded mount, and indicator light dashboard provided all by Takamoto. That's guy. That guy was sitting in your seat last week. He talked a little bit more than you. People probably said I should shut up and let you talk. But anyways, we'll get back to this. My question is, on the dash panel, I would like one indicator light for low fuel and one indicator light for the EFI uh, engine light. Do you know which wires in the bike's harness are positive and negative for each of these indicators? <laughs> 
man, I am really, really smart, but I'm going to have to say no. I don't know. Owner's manual. Owner's manual will tell you. And you know how you can find out, though? Um, if you pull your headlight shell off and you look at those two lights, which are on your stock thing, and you look at the color of the wires that are going up to those two, and you just follow those wires back down into the wire cluster where it plugs into the thing. Is one of the Willy Boys? Yep. Willy Boys running, running, running Navajo. <laughs> They're owning it down. Um, just trace the wires back to where it goes because those two lights are on your current dash and figure out that, that way. You don't even need the owner's manual, but I don't know what color those lights are, nor do I have a 2020 500 EXCF sitting around here to that. In fact, how did you get a 2020 KTM 500 EXCF? Because KTM says they don't even have any to give us to test. Actually, I know what happened. They were sold out. They are sold out. And there's no reason to give them to media, so they're going to wait till they get, like, the second shipment of bikes coming in, and then they can let us ride them. And then uh, why don't you tell us how that bike works? Um, yeah, you got a lot of cool stuff on it, all those parts. Uh, Steve Conklin asks, in transitioning from – here we go. <laughs> transitioning <laughs> from relatively sea-level altitude. That's kind of a weird word these days, you know. Didn't we talk about that? In one of the other shows? Didn't we talk about transitioning? <laughs> I can't remember. I know I know, I know that we did. Uh, from relatively sea level to altitude of 7,000 feet, is there an a logarithm to determine how to rejet a carburetor on a 05 Honda 450X? Well, number one, you don't want to um, say a logarithm like I do. <laughs> Algorithm. Um, I just, I just hermetically, hermetically spelled it. <laughs> um, actually, the other thing you don't want to do is you don't want to, you don't want to take a carburetor off of a 05 Honda Sierra 450X. I just did two of them this week, believe it or not. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways to do them, none of which are good. But I will tell you, if you take the gas tank off and turn the carburetor sideways a little bit, you can get to the main and the pilot jet if you're careful. And then you can also get to the needle. Uh, an algorithm. Um, there, there are charts in the manual that uh, I don't know if it's in. You know what? On that bike specifically, there is no jetting advice at all because it's a carb compliant it's a carb compliant um, thing, but yeah, someplace you're going to be able to find. I, mean, I know Makuni uh, used to have a chart that I used to use that would show you based on altitude and temperature of the change. It was just really just kind of a line drawing, um, and it was pretty accurate. Uh, but I'm going to tell you. Let's see. So <coughs> you're going from sea level, and I know I know Steve, so I know where you rode. How did how did it ride when you were up like at you know four thousand? Like let's say high desert. If it was fine at the high desert, you're really only talking about like a a three or four thousand foot gain in all honesty. And those bikes are kind of lean to begin with, so I don't know what you've what you've done. So a lot of times you could take the stock Hondas. I remember because I did it a few times, pretty high up in Colorado before they really started running all that bad because they were they were lean. And typically when I would go up there, it was one on the main, one on the pilot two on the needle clip position. 
if that helps. That was kind of always my starting point. If I wanted to jet it down here before I went someplace, one size leaner on the main, one size leaner on the pilot, and two on the throttle clip or the throttle, uh, the needle, the needle position. So two leaner, which means you're going to raise it up two positions so the needle sits down lower in the thing. So the clip position goes up, the needle drops down lower. And uh, if that doesn't work, and I'm drawing on my memory, which isn't all that good anymore, uh, you could go two on the pilot, two on the main, and one on the needle clip. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a great starting point. Um, and sometimes when we have to go race someplace where we didn't really have a whole lot of time uh, to, you know, do jetting and stuff there, I would usually just use one of those two um, things. Hey, another thing I got asked today was um, was if I was going to have a crankshaft done, uh, who would I use or where do I send crankshafts to? And I've been uh, this this guy. This his name is Jeff Siebold. I got his card. I'm going to hold it up in front of the camera right here. He does something called competitive crankshafts, and he used to be based down in Orange County. He was a guy I took all my cranks to, and I've probably taken him 15 cranks. And, uh, so he's now in Boise, Idaho, and, uh, it's called competitive crankshafts. I'm going to go ahead and throw a number out here just in case you uh, want to write it down. If you're the person asking me this question, it's 208-297-3344. And this guy was really good at crankshafts. He did a lot of the, actually a lot of the factory teams, uh, crankshafts, um, I knew because I saw the guys that I knew dropping them off down there. And it wasn't just a thing where it said like, you know, factory Honda and factory Kawasaki. And, you know, when there was some of the other teams that were dropping stuff down there, they were, they were their crankshafts and he was, he was uh, doing them all. So, and everyone he did for me was perfect. And he actually, you know, you look at his shop and there wasn't much there. There was a press, a lot of hammers, a lot of hammers with a lot of different materials and a few V blocks around and an, and a dial indicator. And I asked him if I could watch how he did it once. And he goes, you're not going to be very impressed. And I'm like, um, no, I've, I've seen guys that know what they're doing before. Sometimes it's not very impressive, but it's the years of experience and doing it. And he took my KTM 200 crankshaft and, uh, I brought him the, the, the rod kit for it. And five minutes later, he handed it back to me. And after, you know, he, just punched the bearing out, you know, set the new one in there, punched it back together, beat on my crank with a hammer, spun it around a few times, beat it one more time and handed me back and it was perfect. And, you know, he, he did put the feeler gauge in the side to check the side gap and everything like that. But you could tell this is a guy that knew exactly what he was doing, you know, exactly how to do it. Um, and uh, that's, uh, you know, sometimes there's guys like that that are hard to find. And this guy is one of them that's really good. So, uh, if you're looking to have a crankshaft done, um, like I said, it wasn't very impressive. <laughs> it was really impressive is what it was. I mean, just the, just the skill that the guy had to, to uh, get that right. And I've never had a failure on a crankshaft that he has, uh, put back in and I've put a lot of time on him. So, uh, okay. Doesn't sound like he's on the rear wheel though. He's just ripping up and down the street and it's dark outside. So he's probably using his cell phone as his headlight. Yeah, we had a kid in town uh, eat, a, eat a hood of a car, um, not doing much for the uh, dirt bike riding community because this guy wasn't a dirt bike rider. He was a hoodlum that ended up eating a car, evidently. But um, 
Don't do that. <laughs> don't wheelie up and down the streets. Go out to the desert. We have lots of good desert to go riding around in here. Um, anyhow, uh, let's see. Sean, how you say that? Ag, Aguina? Uh, yeah. Is that how you would say it? Yeah. Yeah. Sean Aguina is asking, maintenance intervals up and down the scale of complexity, comprehensiveness from oil changes to complete rebuilds and also along the axis of beginner desert casual rider to intermediate to pro or typical rev stream strain. Bob, did you write that? Yeah, you did. Bob, you sent that in. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. That's why I figured you sent it in. Um, so <laughs> maintenance intervals. Yeah, that, um, boy, sounds like uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure what you're asking there, Sean. Um, I actually, I kind of I kind of know what you're asking is um, from oil change to complete rebuilds. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. I think... Uh, maybe he was talking about what I was talking about last week when I was saying that it doesn't really matter your skill level, your rebuild schedule. Um, it's how hard you ride the bike. Your skill level is kind of, you know, some pros can ride a bike way easier than some beginner riders. And and so your your skill level isn't that. It's, it's how hard it's used. And generally how hard it's used. I mean, you can ride bikes really, really hard. Right, Logan? Yes. It depends on the maintenance you're doing and how good... Uh, the, the little stuff is like not letting dirt go by the air filter. That's number one. Uh, making sure the engine has oil in it would be number two. And it's changed frequently. Um, and then not doing dumb things like over revving it. Yeah. Valve float or, you know, having your two stroke, you know, make, make less power at a higher RPM. You know how, you know how you can do that every once in a while, you know, you just forget to shift. You know those you know those mini bike kids? They take off in the start and they just go and then yeah. they and they still and you're like shift. Yeah, and like that. That's bad for them. Um so yeah. Um that's those are the things that'll save your bike more than anything else. And then and then take whatever the manufacturer says, multiply it by four, and you're probably safe. <laughs> just guessing. Uh Sean Faria. I have a 2008 KTM 450 XCF and want to put a light and a fan, but the stator is too small, and I can't find a bigger stator. Didn't Kurt Caselli ride a bike like this and have a light? Uh, yes. Um, the 2008 KTM 450 XCF, I think that's – is that still that kind of that – it was its own unique – I think it was its – I think it was one of those kind of – it was the motor – it was the no-kickstarter motor – it was one of the first no Kickstarter motors, and it was, it had a, it was they were trying to make them small, and so I think it does have a small ignition, but I do know that you can have the stator rewound and get a little bit more out of it. Um, uh, yeah, I, and I'm pretty sure if, if if they were racing that when Kurt was racing, I saw Kurt race a bike like that at King of the Motos one year, and he did not have a headlight on it. Uh, cause we didn't do night race that year. Uh, and he needed a cooling fan on it. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, um, maybe you need a different bike. It 
500 would be really nice in your garage, I think. KTM 500. Yeah. Or or I know a guy that's going to be selling a 2001 KTM 640 LC4, and it has uh, a big light and a cooling fan on it. <laughs> so I think they had a cooling fan that year. At some point, they put cooling fans in those bikes, I believe. Uh, let's see. Darren Oatway asks, burning of carbon from two-banger exhaust, how and why is it done? Um. So you're talking about a pipe that's plugged up with um, carbon, essentially, from too much two-stroke oil and stuff. Uh, how and why is it done? I've never had to do it, personally. Um, I have bought some used bikes that were that were pretty gummed up, and I just rode them, and it seemed like it dried out the sludge in the pipe, and I think over time it might have... Um, flaked off and blown out kind of like bob is doing to his nose right now did everybody hear that jeez we're gonna have to start inviting you not inviting you in here if you're doing that this is this is this is supposed to be a high quality sound podcast and everybody thinks everybody would suspect that you're sitting like an an inch an inch away from me when you made that noise (laughs) so um uh i'm pretty sure you, you that sounds like something darren you should search the youtubes for because there's probably some bald guy that has some trick on how to do it. it. And I'm sure it involves like putting gas in the pipe or yeah. Hey, you know what you could do? You know that, you know that smudge pot thing we have? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll, that'll, that'll clean that thing out. Right. Oh yeah. What'll work, Bob. You'll pay pay somebody that's fast to go ride it. Yeah. Pay somebody that's fast to go ride it. It, It'll, it'll clean it out, but they'll still, it'll still, um, you know, I've picked up some pipes that are like that and they're pretty heavy. There's a, you know, when there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, I think it's done because essentially you've got those, um, those sonic waves flowing in and out of that pipe and any obstruction and stuff on those is not going to be very helpful. Um, so especially when they get, get down to the stinger end, if that stinger end starts uh, clogging up, it's going to, you know what it's going to do? It's actually going to help your bike make more power and run hotter right up until it seizes. <laughs> so you want to know how <laughs> smaller stinger diameters make more power on two strokes right up to the point where they don't. Um, let's see. Chance McCamish asks, why does KTM use a fixed axle over a floating design like all the Japanese models? Uh, seems like all the big teams throw a floating axle in their orange white bikes. Why? Wait a minute. Uh, a floating axle would. So he's indicating he's he's thinking that both of the clamps are. What's? They're they're not fixed. They're they're not. No, none of the bikes are fixed. I mean, they are fixed. They index over onto the all bikes. Pretty much index onto the fork leg that the brake caliper is attached to. If you have a single, you know, it's, it's a precision fit. It's based on, it's based on ideally where the, the, the wheel has to sit so that it, so that the brake is centered, you know, the brake floats a little bit, but it pulls when you, the, when you tighten them up, it pulls everything over. It basically, so on a KTM, when you tighten the axle up, the axle pulls into the wheel and hits the wheel bearings, and it pulls the wheel bearings all the way over against the fork leg that the brake 
rotor is the bra- the caliper is on. So in it kind of in that essence, that's that's how it it binds itself together. And then the other the other leg essentially floats to get so you get them so the forks are perfectly straight. And I think all the bikes are the same way. It's this, in the rear, they have the floating axle. I think you might be younger. Why is Casey just fixed axle? Oh, the rear. He's talking about the rear. Yeah. yeah uh, the rear of the bike. Let's see. Floating. A fixed axle. A floating design. How would the KT... What's the difference? So the, 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 the disc brake side of the KTM axle, the, the uh, chain tensioner block is fixed. The, on the left side it floats, and I think the it's fixed on the axle. Right, the aftermarket. Right. Set up oh, oh. Two uh, uh, so he okay. So he is talking about the rear, the rear axle. Um, uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't. It, it seems like all the big teams throw a floating axle in their orange white bikes. Uh, are in? It, are they running the same? The question is: Are they running the same diameter axles? Which would they? I know they change those a lot. I know they're. I know that they're running. I guarantee you that they're running titanium axles. Well, I can't guarantee you that, but I would. It wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if they're running titanium axles. And maybe the titanium doesn't embed into that fixed piece as well as like the steel axle into the the thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. There's lots. Of, I've I've seen some really light axles and stuff like that. I I would I would say it could be for strength. Um, it could be for you know when you're when you're doing that stuff. I've had those crack by the way. The when the the KTM's actually on both sides. I've had those because they make them pretty light. The stock ones, and I've actually had the ones where the axle threads into it crack. Um, so. Okay, yeah, good Good that we're <laughs> talking about the right end of the bike. That would help me out next time so I don't spend a little while trying to figure something out that I'm like going, what <laughs> What kind of floating front axles are we talking about? I remember I remember some of the clamps on the front that, that had the, that the, that the, you could adjust where the, the, the part that, when the axle actually threaded into the, to one side of the fork, that was adjustable. That thing clamped and pinched in there, but, uh, yeah. I think it's probably because probably first, I don't think it's anything too, too tricky. Um, probably just cause they're running, uh, lighter axles and things like that. Um, that's rear. Hey, hey look, he, he responded in the form. It just popped up right now. He said rear axle. Why don't you say rear axle dingbat? <laughs> uh, Ron Wilson, uh, the LC four is not awesome. <laughs> I take it you've had to ride one, Ron. <laughs> Probably for a long ways down in uh, Mexico at some point or other. Um, uh, Mike Spurgeon, at Taco Mike says ISE Net has an app on the Apple Store for Honda jetting, so um, maybe that will help you uh, help you out. Let's see. Um, I have those pinouts for those lights. Oh, you, <laughs> well, you sold it to him, Mike. You should answer that question. <laughs> uh, catch him back up. Um, let's see. Um, I got a lot of friends that are down in Mexico for the Baja 1000. Um, yeah, I don't care much. <laughs> I don't miss it. Um, have you ever seen the, 
Precision Racing Parabolic Damper. Uh, thought on if you have any experience with them. Rick, I have seen them. I've ridden a couple bikes with them. Um, I didn't seem to care for them uh, right off the bat, but I didn't really test them. It just seemed, and, and I think it was the customers that had them, had them kind of cranked up. What are you doing, Logan? Getting ready to do your rant? Sure. Oh. Uh-oh. What happened? <laughs> you lost your train of thought? I thought you are falling asleep on me over there. You only got five more minutes. Is that your dad on your screensaver? <laughs> yes. You wrote down your rant. <coughs> yes. That's good. That's preparing. Okay, what are we going to talk about? The six days. Okay. Enduro. Awesome. You know, you know what's, uh, you know, you know what's pretty cool. What's pretty cool? How America won. Good. Let's go. I wasn't even going to talk about it. I don't talk about too much, uh, too much racing. But go for it. It's your, it's your segment. You've got this. <laughs> um. So, the. The six-day enduro is like the Olympics for dirt bikes. Right. And it's the International Six-Day Enduro, I-S-D-E. Yep. And they, every country send their, send their best guy. Yep. Well, they send best four. Four, four guys, correct. And so their, their moto counterpart is the motocross of nations. Right. And so many people are kind of... Mad on the the racers, some of the top racers of USA because they because they didn't go over and support the team. Yes. Uh huh. And so I think that like the fans should like help and support the the equal counterpart of the off road. The ISDE guys. Yes. Yeah. We got. They should get a lot of fan support now that they've won. Yes. So this is the second time that the uh, that U.S. has won the trophy, world trophy. Yes. Yeah. Second time the women also won uh, the world trophy, which is pretty cool. And um, I didn't I didn't get a chance to follow it uh, that much, but it looked like Portugal was kind of similar to some of our drier drier conditions. Mm-hmm. I know in the first uh, first couple of days it looked like it was pretty dusty. So who are the guys on the who who are the guys? Uh Taylor Robert, Ryan yep. Sipes, and Caleb Russell. There's one more. Baylor. Oh. Yep. Stuart Baylor. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. Orange guys, yeah? Yeah. Now we're those orange bikes. So you know you know Taylor because you see him at the works races all the time. Yes. Yeah. So no, it's that's that's awesome. It's a big it's a huge accomplishment. Um uh, you know, especially since we've been having such a deficit in the motocross of nations, it's kind of see, like, you know, I used to race that. I did the ISD. Uh-huh. So back in my day, we would get our asses handed to us. I mean, just because it, the racing format was completely different, and and it's changed over the years. Like it used to be called the, it was called the uh, ISDT. It was International Six Day Trial. Like back before your dad was born. <laughs> a long time ago and then and then it switched over to isde and even in the time when i was doing it, it's changed quite a bit it's gotten more like call it like sprint enduro you know um uh-huh. the 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 
the, the, the tracks, the, the, the special tests and stuff. Like we didn't walk every special test because they have really long terrain tests out in the, you know, out in the woods and stuff that would go on for long distances. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's an awesome it's an awesome accomplishment. The good thing is, since we've have now these sprint enduro races and sprint enduro things, now all of a sudden we're racing a very similar type of racing here. Because whenever we would go do ISDE, all of a sudden you know we'd be doing like hare and hounds or or national enduros, which are timekeeping enduros, and then we'd have to go over and do this thing that was completely completely foreign uh, to to us to race. Yeah. You know, just to just out of nowhere, you just got to pull it out and go fast for four minutes, you know, just pin it. Uh-huh. And so, um, that was, uh, that was kind of crazy. So you're pretty stoked. Yes. You want to go do ISE? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You're going to have to get that 103 working pretty good. You can't have a maybe, a maybe motor in that thing. You got to have a motor's got to go because it's got to last yeah. for six days. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of hard for you. Six days, six days straight on a single bike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Um, cool. I think we've we've killed our hour here. Um, I'm gonna see what else. Uh, what else we got? Do we see any other things pop up? Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> he blames that on me somehow or another. Um, let's see. Uh, Everybody's liking the uh, the Scots. Yeah, they're they're mad at Scots for not getting the damper out, but they're happy with them because they have good customer service and make good products. Well, sometimes <laughs> sometimes not having products done like ten minutes after the bike comes out, that's what you uh, um, end up uh, end up on. And somebody says fifty hours of racing on one motor. Yeah, that sounds normal at the ISDE. Yeah. Yeah. They're riding four strokes these days. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think they're all of our guys were on four strokes, yeah? I so. Yeah. I, I don't I don't even I can't even remember which class is which when it's E three or E one or E, you know. I, I liked it when it was the the displacement size because I'll get confused because I'll think E three is a five hundred one week and then the next week I'll think an E five is or E three is a two fifty. I'm like, which one? Which one is it? So um but yeah, congratulations to those guys for taking it home uh, for the women's team. Even the junior team got second place, which is pretty good. And we won the club team. The uh, the um, it was the I'm trying to think of the name of the the company. They make the the vibration dampening handlebar things. I'm going to think about it before I sign off. It's um oh I should know this. We talked about him last week. What's what's the name of the handlebars? Fast. No, no, the other ones. Um, no, no, it's the it's uh, 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 Mako, the Mako three hundred and sixty. So those, it's the it's the there that was they were the sponsor of the club team that ended up winning, and that was uh, who was on that? Um, Ricky Russell, I think, is one of the Yamaha guys. Uh, is he still on the Yamaha? Huh? The other Baylor, maybe. No, the other Baylor is on the junior team. Yeah, and. Uh, I'm, I can't remember the other riders' names, but again, I'm old. I don't follow the racing that much anymore. Just looking out to get to do, do some trail riding. So I should spend more time like trying to figure out how to, you know, sell my bikes on the internet or or, or take you on free, free sell T-shirts. That's right. Buy a dirt bike test T-shirt. 
um, we, we have maybe three or four more left in stock, and then um, then I, I've totally made it. There we go. Mike, you got it. <laughs> XC gear. It was called the XC, XC gear uh, cross-country team. So awesome for you guys for uh, getting it. Uh, and Mark, you spelled Mako wrong. <laughs> you spelled Mako like Mako, like M-Star, like that company <laughs> back in the old days. Those are the bikes that I wanted to ride when I was a kid. I was never uh, never able to. So um, kind of like they're kind of like what you kids think of Husabergs now. <laughs> so, okay. With that, we are going to sign off for Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. We'll be back at some point or another. Uh, maybe we'll take a week off. I don't know. We'll see what's we'll see what's up. Uh, got Thanksgiving coming up. I'm going to go do a whole bunch of dirt bike riding, and it's going to start raining. It might even be raining as we speak right now. I haven't heard the Willie Boys go by for a while, so they're probably getting their pants wet, and then they had to go home. So, okay. Uh, from Prump. For Logan, Logan, say hi. Hi. That was your 28th word tonight. Yes. Yeah, good job. So we will see you in the future. Cheers. Cheers.